a calm, beautiful podcast. We speak about the light, hold back truths to spare your feelings. We never rock the boat. No unfiltered opinions here. Listening to Unfiltered. Unfiltered. If it's politics, tech, entertainment, global headlines, and everything in between, we shoot you straight through the eyes with the truth. Streaming to six continents from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and West Hollywood, California. Sponsored by the Stutzman Group. We're real. We're raw. We are unfiltered. This is Bobby and Luke. Welcome to Unfiltered with Bobby and Luke. It is Tuesday, December 22nd. Luke, we've got now three days till Christmas, 14 days until the runoff, 15 days until the certification of the Electoral College. And only now 29 days till inauguration. Getting there. We're getting there. That, uh, unfortunately, that uh, number of days until certification. Well, yes, the number of days to the runoff is, is important. But the number of days to certification, oh, also important as we have uh, members of Congress still, uh, you know, suggesting they might try to... Uh, cause a ruckus and you've got of course uh donald trump still fomenting his loss and uh just basically uh retweeting just straight up q content at this point so correct correct uh it's <laughs> fucking it's batshit crazy but he's gonna do what he's gonna do and you know for the next uh what 29 days he's got or 28 days now but uh other topics we're gonna discuss today a uh, big topic of conversation, obviously, nationally, is the stimulus. Luke, what, what are your thoughts on the actual stimulus package itself? You know, I, uh, I, I, we, had, we had to get something done. So uh, I, I appreciate that. But being a big fan of history, uh, a famous quote comes to mind and uh, let them eat cake uh, basically is is now let them have $300 extra per week or and a $600 check. I, I, yeah. I. Well, and this is something they could have done months ago, right? So eight months ago, oh, yeah. nine months ago was the first yeah, let's, let's make, package. Yeah. This is happening for one reason and one reason only is that Mitch McConnell, he is not the Grinch. He is the Grinch pre, uh, but his heart did not suddenly grow. Uh, he saw the writing on the walls in Georgia and knew that those uh, POSs that he has running for Senate down there had no chance uh, without something to point to as, hey, we helped get this done. Meanwhile, the two of them had been uh, to two of the loudest opponents of any additional uh, stimulus packages, uh, especially any additional uh, unemployment benefits. So, you know, we'll get into that, though. <laughs> yes, we will. Now, also here, uh, bracing for 
a winter of death. We want to kind of give a highlight of, of what we mean by that. Yeah, numbers are not good, folks. We've got numbers spiking. We've got hospitals filling up. We have IC, ICUs over capacity. We have states ordering morgue, the refrigerated morgue trucks out of fear that they will have bodies piling up. And um, even more concerning, we have a new mutated strain as viruses typically do, but a mutated strain that is perhaps 70% more contagious than the current strain. And uh, as Andrew Cuomo said yesterday in his uh, daily briefing, it's not a question of if it's already here. It's a question of how much of it right. is already here. Right. Yeah. Now, now, Luke, I remember early on, Dr. Fauci and Burks were concerned about COVID-19 mutating. And they had yep. talked about it uh, maybe at a few briefings. And then I hadn't heard anything for for months and months about this. And then we have, you know, out of the UK, you know, this mutant strain that is causing them to basically shut everything the fuck down. Yeah, London is a ghost town. I have friends and family uh, that live in London, in and around the London area, and it is a it is a true lockdown. Like people are not allowed to leave their homes except for very specific reasons. Uh, police will approach you on the street and ask why you're out of your home. Uh, it is a true ghost town, which is good. That's you know they're trying to keep things contained, but what's not good is that uh, dozens of flights still land in the United States from the UK every single day. And uh, luckily some of those airlines, um, British Airways and uh, Virgin to name a couple, are stepping up and saying, we'll do rapid testing of all, uh, all uh, you know, people on the flight, at, you know, if they're coming to the United States. But, you know, as we know, those are only so accurate. And then, uh, Bobby, as we were discussing, uh, you know, this whole thing is really on your honor system, right? You know, mm -hmm. you, you, you travel, you're right. supposed to quarantine for, uh, you know, 10 days, regardless of how you feel. It's, let's be honest, it's the holidays. People are traveling to see people. That's why you travel at the holidays. So I don't, I don't see this getting any better and I, I have a, a, a burning sensation in my tummy that tells me that uh, January is going to be very, very painful. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to see the highest number of infections, hospitalizations, and deaths come from Christmas, New Year's, everything we're seeing now. And then even with everything going on, Luke, we've got people that mm. are protesting the lockdowns. Protesting yeah. that I'm too, you know, I don't need to wear a mask. I don't need to stay home. We've got a mutant strain out there that most likely will be in the United States before too long. And yet there's people that are not wanting to wear masks are not going to get vaccinated or inoculated. I mean, it's just fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. My, my little, my my little anti-mask protest I witnessed last week is nothing compared to the, uh, you know, armed. You know, let, let me just say something real quick here, uh, not to get too deep in the weeds. But I, you know, let's 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 call it what it is here. These are not armed militias showing up 
at state capitals to protest. Uh, because let's be completely honest here, if, if those men and women with their AR-15s were any other color than what they are, which is white, uh, it would be a very different situation and would be handled, I would assume, very differently. And we would be hearing about armed terrorists showing up at state capitals, not uh, good-intentioned armed militia members showing up to protest lockdowns. So right. that's just, right. let's just get that really fucking clear right from the jump. And then we're going to discuss, obviously, with, you know, the pandemic, you know, there's been a lot of uh, publicity about the hospitality industry with restaurants having to shut down. There's been mm -hmm. 100,000 businesses closed in that in that industry, you know, but we're going to kind of more focus towards, you know, the retail sector, shopping malls, retail stores. Uh, I spent a uh, almost 22 years running big box retail stores. I was telling Luke before we started the pod this morning that I actually went through um, a liquidation uh, back in 2003 when Kmart filed bankruptcy. I was working for Kmart running big box retail stores. So we'll get more into that on the other side. All right, let's, let's get into it. Okay, Luke, let's let's get back into our first topic, which is the stimulus. Uh, obviously, eight months in the making. Uh, we have not, you know, we have seen Congress fight three trillion from the Democratic side, two two trillion from the Democratic side, and they finally agreed upon right around nine hundred billion dollars. Yeah, so yeah, let's make it very, very, very clear here that, um, you know, Nancy Pelosi in the House passed a $3 trillion stimulus package, uh, right, you know, what, in May, uh, that was supposed to pick up right off of when the CARES Act expired. Right. They saw the writing on the wall, they knew that this was going to be much worse than anybody in in ever could have imagined and they knew the CARES package would barely get us through the summer, which it did. Um, but then they knew that that would mean millions of Americans uh, were facing a very uh, grim fall and winter. Mitch McConnell over on the Senate side and Trump and Mnuchin and the clowns in the administration uh, sat on their hands, said that, uh, you know, any additional stimulus to Americans would... Uh, would would actually keep them from going out and seeking work because you know we we want people out actively job hunting in a pandemic okay right. um so they sat on their hands they sat on their hands and they did nothing and you don't have to take my wor words for it uh, just look up the clip of mitch mcconnell uh talking on a, a conference call of republican uh congressional leaders 
basically saying that Loeffler and Purdue, their two senators down in, uh, down in Georgia, are getting hammered by the left and by the media over the lack of any kind of movement on stimulus from the Republicans. So that's it. You know, Mitch McConnell is a political monster, and for no other reason than the fact that we have these runoffs happening in uh, just 14 days, they decided they needed to get something done. And the something they got done, uh, as you mentioned, is the smallest fucking bag of crumbs I have ever, ever seen. I, I mean, these, these, these people who, you know, uh, a, a congressman or woman makes $130,000 a year, okay? They have 100% paid health care, and they also have, well, obviously, a wonderful time off package, if you ever notice how often that Congress is on recess. And sure, they've got a campaign and go to events back at home, yada, 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 but they get plenty of time off. They get to spend time with their families. They get, like I mentioned, excellent, excellent health care. Um, we've seen many of them uh, being vaccinated, and hey, some of them the Pelosi's and McConnell's and Schumer's of the world are in that age bracket where they should be. But to see that little fucker, Marco Rubio, sitting there getting his vaccine, I just wanted to punch him in the face. While right. millions of Floridans are suffering, there he is using his position to cut the line and get his vaccine. Um, meanwhile, we have uh, you know, reports of uh, vaccines sitting in warehouses yet to be allocated, but we'll touch on that when we get to the COVID section. But uh, so here we go. We've got $900 billion, $900 billion stimulus <laughs> package, which will, uh, which will include payments, direct payments to Americans, um, excuse me, which will include direct payments to all Americans who make $75,000 or less a year, I believe. Correct. Uh, and they will, um, excuse me, had a little technical glitch there, excuse me. Um, that $600 will go to, you know, basically anyone and everyone. And the problem with that, as we've mentioned a lot, or, uh, you know, that, you know, there, there's plenty of people you know, and I, I'm, you know, I'll be fully transparent. I fall into this category. It's Bobby, I'm sure, you know, you do as well. But you know, the $600, it's like, okay, great. Thank you for that 600 bucks, but I'm gonna stick it in the bank. I'm not gonna go necessarily spend it right away or this or that, you know, it, it's not gonna, it's, it's not something that I need right this minute, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's not gonna be that stimulus to the economy that we really need versus extended, Unemployment benefits, which this time around, instead of $600 a week extra, folks that are unemployed are going to get $300 a week extra. Uh, so $1,200 a month. And that money, you can almost guarantee, will be immediately spent into the economy. Because when you're, work when you're not working and you don't have another source of income, every penny that comes into you goes to rent, groceries, gas, uh, you know, other necessities. So that money gets spent right away and therefore creates the economic stimulus that we are so desper desperately in need of. 
Mm-hmm. Um, most major economists here in the United States say that this bill has major flaws. It will do it will do something a little bit uh, to stimulate the economy, but not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. Right, and we're months you know months since the last package. We've got what, you know they're saying thirty to forty million people that are having a tough time even putting food on the table. We've got people that are behind on rent, you know, several months in rent. And, you know, the extra 300 while okay, it's not going to get people, you know, flush with all their overdue payments. Right. I mean, these guys could have used this, you know, money months ago, and this should, you know, really been the third package, not just the second package. Okay. So let's uh, let's see. Uh, moving on. Bracing for a winter of death. And now a new mutant strain. Luke, are you there? Looks like we're having some difficulties with Luke's mic. Okay, sorry about that, team. I just had some ridiculously bad tech issues. Did you guys get any of what I just said about the stimulus package? (laughs) Like that's that is the where I I lost. Yeah, uh, yeah, connection. we uh, we heard you until we didn't. <laughs> okay. Anyway, long story short, on the stimulus packages, it's it's not good, Bobby. It's not good. Well, yeah, we'll, it's not it's not near enough money. It's not. Near we need. Money. Yeah, we we need to win again, folks. Sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, we need to win these runoffs. Uh, we need desperately to win these runoffs. VoteSaveAmerica.com. If you have any coin that you can donate. If you have any time to uh, help out, the next 14 days are critical and we have got to do everything we can to make sure Raphael Warnock and Joel Ossoff become the next two senators from Georgia. Otherwise, uh, this is it. I mean, I think Mitch McConnell has more than played his hand here. Uh, If he remains in control in the Senate, there will be no more support coming from Congress. So, correct. Correct. Now, moving on to the next topic, you know, this kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, Game of Thrones a bit. You know, winter is coming. You know, the last season, that was like the the motto. Winter is coming. And with regards to COVID, you know, winter has started. We're seeing the repercussions of everybody's traveling from Thanksgiving now. And now we got Christmas in three days. We got New Year's the week after. So I, you know, the end of January could be a lot worse. And by based on all the the doctors, they're predicting it's going to be a lot worse than it is right now at the end of January. Yeah. So just to, um, you know, it's been in the national news and whatnot, and and numbers are horrible all over the country, but, you know, obviously I pay closest attention to the numbers that, you know, affect me the most and those being the ones right here in uh, the new, we are being called the new New York City, the new epicenter of the uh, raging 
uh, raging pandemic here, right here in Los Angeles. So let me just give you some some jaw-dropping numbers. And this uh, was in an article yesterday, the 21st. So just two months ago, uh, here in Los Angeles area, LA County area hospitals. And now, mind you, LA County goes from LA all the way down, all the way up to Calabasas, all the way down to Long Beach. It's a big place, so this is not just LA proper. But due to urban sprawl, it's basically all considered the LA Metroplex. Um, two months ago, so around this time in October, we had 2,291 patients, COVID patients in LA County hospital beds, including 657 in ICU beds. Yesterday, the 21st of December, we had 16,843 patients in uh, hospital beds. 3,614 of them in ICU beds. So that's just a two-month, a two-month uh, increase. Uh, that is almost uh, threefold what it was uh, just two months ago. We are projecting. We are projecting. Uh, this uh, the state is projecting that we could hit as many as 75,000 inpatient. COVID cases by mid-January. Mm. We are already, uh, as of Sunday, ICU capacity in, South, in Southern California is at 0%. Mm. And, you know, it, it's, it's just flat out. We're going to be the new New York, you know, the, 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 the morgue trucks have already been ordered. And uh, it would not be surprising uh, this particular reporter, um, Emily Crane, uh, that LA could very well and most likely will be the COVID capital of the world, uh, sur surplacing or sur sur surmounting New York City's death toll, uh, which is currently New York City's death toll is at 28,600. LA is now just at just below at 22,500. Undoubtedly, that number at New York will be overtaken between now and the new year, and uh, therefore making LA the deadliest place in the world when it comes to COVID. So, not good stuff. And, not and, good stuff and what's your state governor doing right now? I mean, what's the health departments? So, I mean, what are their plans? Are they doing lockdowns, more lockdowns? I mean, obviously, this is out of control what's the what's governor newsom doing yeah so in his address yesterday uh we actually our our current lockdown which included the closure of all restaurants for everything um dine-in so even outdoor dining was closed down um gyms and uh you know places, uh, personal care places such as massage parlors, finger, uh, you know, nail salons, massage, uh, um, uh, barber shops, whatnot, have all been closed down. Uh, and that was supposed to expire uh, early next week. Uh, that will undoubtedly be extended now. And my curiosity is around, and I know we're going to get into it later, but is around retail. Because astoundingly, during this rampant outbreak and these, you know, exponentially growing numbers, indoor retail, including shopping malls, 
have been allowed to remain open. And I um I understand the need, you know, I understand the need for people to have jobs. I understand the need for people to be able to um I guess go buy those holiday presents and whatnot. I, I understand the enormous impact when a place as as big as say the Beverly Center has to close down. But guys, the Beverly Center, unlike many, many, many malls across Southern California, the Beverly Center is a fully enclosed building. <laughs> you know, like you drive in to the, you drive into the indoor parking garage and you get into an elevator and you are inside the entire time that you are there. Whereas right down the road, you have the Grove, which is an entirely outdoor shopping center. So you're only, uh, you're only inside when you are uh, actually inside a physical store. Right. Um, you know, so I just don't know. You know, I, I understand. I guess I understand the need to keep retail moving. But if you're going to close down the restaurants, which I think had been doing a decent job of following the protocols when it came comes to outdoors and whatnot, you know, I don't know how you can justify keeping one open versus keeping the other open. And of course, you know, even LA County is susceptible to the uh, decisions of the Supreme Court. And so it was finally announced, I think Saturday, Friday late, that LA County churches will be allowed to fully reopen full stop. So what that means, what that means is that potentially across LA County, where the numbers are what I just discussed, in just a few days, we are going to have packed churches for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day celebrations. And wow. um, it is, uh, it's scary, Bobby. You know, I, I intend or I had intended on going to Christmas on Christmas day, but I'm going to, I'm going to be completely honest. I'm going to check it out. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my church has done an exceptional job and I don't know, they haven't even fully announced if they are, if they're going to go inside, maybe we just go ahead. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I'm watching their, um, you know, cause we get our, as so, so let me spill the beans that I think everybody has caught on to by now. I am Catholic, uh, and so I go to a Catholic church, obviously, and we get our direction from the bishop. So even though the you know Barbara Ferrer had said you know churches will open, the bishop will then you know convene with his top aides and make a decision about churches. My guess is he will follow suit and open the churches, but you know we'll see. I go to this beautiful old church here in the hills in west hollywood and it's not so greatly ventilated it's pretty hot in there in the summertime like you know like i don't if i don't know i don't know i don't i don't know we'll we'll see like i said i've been watching the uh watching the website to see what the updates look like but right. you know catholic churches aside we also have these mega churches here in los angeles the the kind that like you see uh you know, Justin Bieber tweeting about and everything now. And, uh, you know, and there's a huge one just down the street in Hollywood called Mosaic. Uh, you know, the kind with the, 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 the preachers with their, uh, you know, head headgear on and whatnot. And it's, you know, it's 
<laughs> anyway, uh, I would be shocked if those places are not packed out for the holidays. And it's just, uh, it's scary. It's scary. Cause and you're going to check it out. Well, I'm going to go to my church. You know, I'm going to first and foremost, I'm going to keep watching the updates on the, on, on our website. Um, and you know, if they do say that we are going to go ahead and move Christmas services inside, I'm going to go and I'm going to see, you know, are we at least still following social distancing and whatnot, you know, and, and make the, make the call, you know, in, in, in the moment. Right. Um, but just because my particular church has had such an overabundance of caution, uh, you know, two of our priests in our parish are quite elderly. Um, it would surprise me, even if we do go back inside, if they don't keep the, if they don't keep the social distancing requirements in place, even though they no longer are required to do so. Okay. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, no, I will not be going to Mosaic or any of the mega churches because I don't have a uh, death wish. Right. Right. You know, back to retail for a second. I was just kind of thinking about that. You know, when it, you know, comparing retail to to the hospitality of the restaurant industry, I think, you know, the big difference is that, you know, you walk into a restaurant that still has, you know, the the in-person dining and yeah. you're, you're wearing your mask until you sit down and then everybody at your table has got their masks off. Right. Yeah. Walking into a yeah. big box retail store. Now, I think this is where the follow up and the the mandate with the masks and or depending on where the state or county is on their level like right now in the springs we're supposed to be like at at i think it's 10 percent capacity and then mm -hmm. yet over the weekend you drive by a big box retail store and their parking lots are just jam-packed right and and there's you know i don't know who's holding them accountable for you know, customers through their doors, you know, I know at a lot of them, there's people at the front that are keeping track of the numbers, people coming and going, but you can't yeah. tell me what the capacity that is, you know, the fire department sets the capacities and they say, okay, this store can have X number of people. Well, 10% of that would say, okay, you know, say 400 in a Walmart supercenter and, or, you know, say 250 in a Walmart supercenter, 10% is 25 people. Well, we were just mm -hmm. there over the weekend and I counted over 120 people. So, um, you know, I don't know who's holding them accountable to their numbers, but it's kind of like, it feels like kind of a free for all. Hey, wear yeah. your masks. And, you know, they were good about people that, you know, weren't covering their nose. Employees were telling them to put their mask on. And, you know, because here in the Springs, that is not considered wearing your mask with, you know, not covering right. your nose. So, right. yep. Yep. You know, I think that's kind of the big difference with, you know, and it's, and it's, it's, it's sad for, you know, the restaurants, right. Where, you know, you can't have indoor dining depending on the level of where these States are at. Uh, but yet, you know, the big box retail stores, you know, are supposed to be under, you know, restrictions with the number of customers that they can allow in at one time. But even on black Friday, you know, I didn't see, you know, parking lots were jam packed around town. And oh, I didn't yeah. see anybody being restricted at all. No, no. It, it um, you know, it's it's one thing for, you know, my my shops. You know, we're all under the same 
kind of guidelines. And my my shops, my dispensaries, it's very easy for us because we have armed security guards at the front door <laughs> and right. they only let in X amount of people at a time. And they do have one of those little clickers and they make sure to keep track, but it's a very small number. You're talking about maybe 10 people inside at one given moment right. versus correct, a big box retailer where obviously it's, it's going to be easy to lose track. And then, you know, it's it's people's behavior once they're in the store right. that really, really matters. And I have seen no sense of let me make sure that I'm giving you your space and I have my space and this and that. You know, anytime that I've been to either a big box retailer or a grocery store, people still just come right up on you, you know, yep. And, yep. and yes, they're wearing their masks and whatnot, but you know, it, it's, yeah, it's like back the fuck be, up, bro. Right. It's meant to be a combo solution. It's like, why are you all up in my grill? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. So why are you in my grill with that fucking Trump mask on? Right. Exactly. You know, and then, you know, I, I, I hear other stories that just break my heart about the uptick in harassment that for places that do still have dining, the uptick in harassment that servers are getting, uh, you know, from the, you know, it, it's, it's, it, you know, people being like, take that damn mask off. I can't hear what you're saying or are as bad as, you know, I, I need to see your face to determine how much I'm going to tip you, um, it, you know, increased, you know, verbal harassment, um, you know, like even here in LA when even, yes, you take off your mask, but if you say you need to get up to go to the bathroom, that means you need to go into the facility or well into the restaurant and then into the facilities. Um, and you're supposed to put your mask on. And I would, you know, even here in LA see waiters timidly try to tell people, you know, Hey, please put your mask on if you're going to be up and about and just get shot down, you know, cause people go to brunch or whatever. They start drinking, they get, you know, a little, a little, little booze brave and it just all goes to shit. So, right. you know, it, it, it's, it's really human, human nature is really fighting against us at every step of the, of the, the journey here. And I just, you know, wish for people to take a deep breath and, uh, Take, take a deep breath while you are several feet away from the closest other human being and <laughs> realize that we're all in this together. And that person that is doing whatever they're doing, whether it's telling you to or asking you to put a mask on or, you know, just trying to follow the rules that they were given by their bosses, they're not doing it because they're, you know, quit taking your animus out on them. It's not their fault. They're, they're well, not the customers have got to realize that without them, like what I'm tired of seeing is businesses not wanting to get into an altercation with people not wanting to wear their mask. Right. Right. It's like right. if you're in retail and you're not wearing your mask, we're going to ask you to leave. If, right. if you're not wearing your mask when you get up at a, at a indoor dining restaurant, you know what? We're not serving you anymore and you can leave. That's how right. simple it is. But yet. Like even at the gym, we'll have people like I'll talk with the uh, manager at Lifetime Fitness here in Colorado Springs and I'll say, hey, is today like like a non-mask day? I mean, have you seen the people upstairs not wearing their mask? And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden they're going 
around asking everybody to put their mask on. And then as soon as they're gone, their, their masks pulled down again. And yeah, you know, it's like, well, you know, if somebody tells us they've got a you know medical issue that they can't wear a mask, then we don't enforce us. That's not part of the policy. Right. Right. And then they bring up ADA. And I was like, have you been to the ADA's website? Right. All they're stating is that if they can't wear a specific mask, you allow different kinds of masks to be weared. They're not exempt from the policy, but yet you'll see in restaurants, retail. Well, you know, they said that they've got, you know, a medical condition. And I was like that. That's not part of the policy. Right. Everybody's got to wear a fucking mask. And yeah, but nobody wants to get into confrontation, and therefore you'll see people at Walmart not wearing their masks, other people saying something to them, and then it's they're just like, fuck you, I don't need to wear a mask. And employees walking by not saying a damn word, and at the gym, and it's just it's just a vicious cycle until people start addressing the situation. Well, and again, what I've seen here in LA is because, correct, the employees clearly have directive to not engage. Uh, it's it's been left up to the to the to the citizen, and right. at least here in West Hollywood, people are pretty fucking outspoken, and so all that turns into is altercations between people that are just there shopping. One person saying, Hey, I've got my mask on. on Boom. Done. Yeah. Did I, they don't leave Well, you're not ringing them up. Sorry. We're not ringing you up. We're not, you know, if you're walking to come and go without a mask, they don't serve you period. That is one of the, that's one of the companies that are uh, fulfilling their duties with accountability is I've seen it several times. People walking in with no mask, and, and then they're told to put on a mask. And they're even they were giving out masks for a long time at Come and Go. And then you have people put on their shirt, and then it drops down, and they're like, "You put a mask on, or we're not serving you." Well, I need some right. cigarettes, I need some gas, or whatever, and I'll be out. And they're like, "Nope, we're not serving you without a mask." And that's what the businesses are supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah, that's what that's what they're supposed to be doing. But sadly, it's not. It's not being enforced and it's and it's leading to leading to like they said leading to altercations and leading to issues uh amongst people and uh it's just not it's not good it's not good bobby (laughs) so that was kind of my spiel you know retail uh you know retail closing you know we talked before we started recording today about if in the 22 years that that I worked, you know, running big box retail stores, if I'd ever had to close stores down, and the answer was yes, yeah, uh, that was the worst worst point in my retail career was liquidating stores. Uh, Money wise, uh, people may not realize it, but liquidators that that go in and liquidate stores in three or four weeks. They make very, very, very good money. Uh, the average big box retail store I helped liquidate in 2003, 2004 uh, for Kmart. I mean, we netted usually about six figures in three or four weeks. And then we moved wow. on to the next store. And then you would liquidate that one. You move on to the next store. It, you know, but it, it it just finally got to me going into these stores, you know, 300 employees, 200 employees. And 
you know, you're telling them in three weeks they're out of a job. And right. so, you know, one of the things that we did, our team did every story we, we went into, obviously we're not making the decision, but we're the face of that liquidation company. We're the right. bad guys. We're the pieces of shit. And yet, unfortunately, a lot of the stores weren't making money, although, you know, the employees loved working for particular manager or particular location. And, you know, but you go in and you, you basically tell them three weeks, you know, you're going to have an option of maybe transferring with right. limited positions. And, you know, in a store of 200, there's a lot of them that want to transfer, but unfortunately they may be five or six jobs in the market. So then, you know, we try to help get, you know, the, the employees placed with, you know, temp agencies, or we'd have, you know, basically a hiring week or weeks where we would kind of facilitate through our HR department of the store. And they would work with hiring managers of, of maybe com competing stores, other grocery retailers, other retailers in the area, and just kind of go through, you know, hiring and try to get everybody placed. But, uh, you know, liquidating a store is, you know, is not fun. Um, the, you know, you can just tell when you walk into a store, you know, it's 125,000 square feet and you've got 300 employees and everybody fucking hates you. You know, you build rapport and, and eventually, you know, they kind of come around. But yet at the end of the day, you're you're there to, you know, close their store. So it was, right. you know, after six big box stores, it got to me and I'd had enough. So, you know, retail was already, you know, struggling before the pandemic happened. Right. Um, you know, with the, you know, prevalence of uh Amazon and uh, well, let me rephrase that. Brick and mortar retail has been right. struggling. Right. Um, the pandemic, from what I have heard, has actually helped uh, some of the big box retailers. Namely, I'm looking at you, Big Red Target, <laughs> um, because they have been able to stay open as essential businesses. And, you know, to a point they are for sure. Um, you know, but uh Going back to pre-pandemic land, if we can think of that time, we were already seeing an increase in people shopping online just for the convenience of it and whatnot. And then with the up with the event of COVID, we saw those numbers shoot through the roof. Why go to a brick and mortar big box to buy my cleaning supplies when I can order them from Amazon and they'll be delivered to my front door the next day? Right. So it, it boggles my mind. And sorry if this is a little bit of an, a left field question, but I now see Amazon building brick and mortar stores. Right. Do you what what is going on there? Well, <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of a double edged sword. So, you know, these big box players, your your Kroger's, your Walmart's, your Target's. You know, everybody kind of allowed, you know, nobody thought 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Amazon was going to, you know, be the number one online retailer on the planet, right? Amazon right. started off in Jeff Bezos' garage selling used books, and he moved on to different products and different services, and he gets into the cloud business, and they're dominating cloud, and they're dominating retail. But, you know, honestly, the big change that happened 
was when Amazon decided, you know, years ago when they said, you know what, we can't sell everything. We can't, you know, inventory hundreds of millions of products and sell absolutely everything. So what they did was they opened up basically their platform to other sellers, right? Right, right. So now all of a sudden you've got basically every brand of, say, smart TVs, right? You go into a Walmart, you've got your Vizio, you've got your, your Roku, you've got your Samsungs and all these guys. Well, now those brands are selling on Amazon.com at a mm-hmm. cheaper price than what Walmart or Best Buy or anybody can sell it at, right? right. So right. that is what was the first big major shift in online retail was when Jeff said, you know what, we're going to open it up. We want Samsung selling on our platform and we want Nike and we want all these, basically all the brands selling. So now like even like in our industry, right. And say Mm -hmm. voice over IP, you know, IP smartphone from Grandstream is retail price. MSRP is two ninety nine. Then you've got these, you know, wholesalers that are selling it at say 289, but Grandstream is on Amazon selling that same phone for a hundred dollars cheaper than what they're selling it at. So that's that was the big first shift. It, but now when it comes to Jeff wanting, you know, of a, a footprint of brick and mortar, it it makes complete sense because. What that does is if Walmart, you know, I feel Walmart with their, they've got almost 10,000 stores now in the United States. If you consider division one, the super centers, uh, the grocery stores, you know, all that. So together they've got about 10,000 and realistically, Mm -hmm. if they were doing it right, Luke, if you order, if you place an order with Walmart and say your order contained 20 total items, 10 of which was one from, from one store and 10 from another store. They could easily do the shopping, combine your order, and centrally either deliver it to you directly the same day or basically let you decide which store you want to pick it up at. And that's what Jeff Bezos is kind of doing now with, with brick and mortar is – you know, they bought Whole Foods and the first thing he did was lowered their prices. And all right. of a sudden, you know, Whole Foods was struggling nationally and 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 now they're, you know, they're making more money, higher volume. And now with these stores that he's opening, they're not traditional brick and mortar, right? They okay. are what they consider smart stores where, you know, say in West, West Hollywood, he opens a store. You essentially would walk in, you would grab the shit that you were buying, and you would walk out. There is no checkout process. Everything is 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 really monitored with, with RFID and mm-hmm. different technologies where it would know that you grabbed the can of Campbell's soup off the shelf. And so basically you're in and out and a third of the time of shopping traditional stores. But I believe his plan is he will continue building the brick and mortar uh, footprint out. That way they can start delivering even quicker, right? So in Seattle, 
they have turn two hour turnaround time on grocery delivery. You place your order within two hours, it's getting delivered to your house. And they've been doing that for a couple of years now. He wants right. to get to that point with, with specifically grocery, you know, in the coming years where it doesn't matter where you're at, you know, metro area, uh, New York City, you place an order in two hours, it's getting delivered to you. So he's got, you know, ideas with the smart stores. But at the end of the day, I think there's going to be other brands that they acquire and which is just, you know, with all these lawsuits going on, you know, there may be issues with that as well. But, you know, in order for they, them to get to the two hour turnaround time or even 24 hour delivery time, they need to build out their their brick and mortar footprint because they can't get everything delivered just from the, you know, the 20 DCs that they've got. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I'd heard about this, uh, the smart technology and that it's going to be the new way that we, uh, we, we shop that essentially it just, yeah, you, you, you take it off the shelf, you stick it in your, your cart or your bag and you walk out and your, your payment method is charged. Yep. So yep. that is, uh, which means a lot of, you know, uh, you know, the checkers that we have, you know, that you see at Walmart, correct. you know, everybody's kind of moving to self checkouts anyway. But that's going to mm -hmm. be less checkers, uh, less jobs, um, right. a, a new way of shopping. Um, they still have some hiccups with that technology and stuff. But, you know, they'll address that. But, you know, I believe in, in order to scale, right, there's so many retail that have closed these last, you know, four years. There's basically thousands of, of retail locations, millions of square foot of retail space available. And really, they're getting, uh, they're negotiating with, you know, a lot of the the largest property management companies, getting getting locations for pennies on the dollar. And mm -hmm. so I think over these coming years, we're going to see just massive rollout with, with uh, you know, Amazon's smart stores. And, um, yeah. you know, it's at a fraction, right? You know, you want to lower your expenses, obviously, as much as possible. But in a lot of these super centers, they're paying over a hundred grand a month in rent, right? Mm -hmm. And now Jeff Bezos can come in and negotiate pennies on the dollar for a lot of these retail spaces, and you know, really lowering their costs, which means they can lower their prices and really compete, you know, in any market that they go into. Yeah, the the space that they're moving into here in West Hollywood is on. Melrose uh, Avenue, which is its neighbors are the likes of Diane von Furstenberg, Betsy Johnson, Olive and Olivia, All Saints, uh, Hugo Boss, you know, the the you know, the the some of the top tier uh, luxury retail out there right. and the building that they're moving into itself used to be a luxury retailer. It's this beautiful giant glass precipice that uh is now branded the first thing they did was put up the amazon sign on the side the interior renovation had not even started yet right and the amazon sign was on the outside of that building absolutely so, yeah. yeah it's it's yeah. it's interesting to see that uh in that landscape but when you talk about negotiating with landlords and being able to get the spaces for pennies on the dollar it makes sense as it's a a very cool location yep. it's a little unexpected 
uh, and you're, you know, you're surrounded by, you know, these really, you know, it, it, it's, it's obvious who they are gearing these towards these stores towards that's, right. you know, well, that, and you figure all. the average super center, right? So when it comes to, you know, you mentioned target, right? The mm -hmm. average, if you were to average across all super target stores, a super center, they're doing roughly 45, $48 million a year in total sales. Whereas the average Walmart super center is doing closer to 80 million average across, you know, across all stores, just the okay. super center. And then you figure in those same stores, you know, payroll could run you anywhere from a million to two and a half million a month. And mm -hmm. then you consider these small footprint, right? These smaller stores that, that Jeff's going to be designing and rolling out. There's very little labor because all there are is there's not even managers in the stores. There's stockers. Mm -hmm. They're going right. to have stockers stocking from the back. I've seen a lot of their um, new, um, you know, back rooms, how they're going to be stocking from the back instead of bringing everything out to the floor and stocking yep. from the front. And so very, very low labor costs and right. which allows you to be even more competitive on price. And, you know, I, I have not, you know, been in these stores. I don't know how, you know, I've, I've heard and I've seen, you know, pictures that various media people have posted about pricing and how aggressive it is. And, you know, when you're, when your costs are very low, right. You know, mm -hmm. even, you know, even Walmart, you know, Walmart would love to be even lower than they are nationally on various products, but you know, you've got a ton of labor to cover there and, and, you know, and all that. So it's going to be very interesting to see how these smaller stores do. Um, and then how often do they change their sales mix? Is it seasonal, you know, like the Walmarts and the targets, will they bring in seasonal products or is it just going to be yeah. kind of a static, um, skews that's going to be there all the time. It doesn't change. Well, I am, I am eager to, uh, and I, and I'm sure if I look, there's the, they're already up and around LA, but, uh, I can't wait to go into this one on Melrose and, uh, give a report back of the experience because it's, uh, intriguing to say the least and another example of uh the big four tech companies ruling america now yep yeah and then it was announced over what was it friday that 2024 is when um apple is for sure getting into the the smart car manufacturing business they're going right. to be manufacturing yeah. their own smart cars and uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see these next couple of years with, with all that. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see. I guess that's uh that's a play towards the Tesla market, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, and some people will say, you know, and I'm one of them, you know, that these last, you know, five, six years, the only thing Apple's really done with with their new products is upgraded the cpus added more ram maybe maybe upgraded the screens of their computers and you know all that stuff and then just re-release them and so this is really you know when it comes to the smart car play really the first new line of new technology that's happened under tim cook right the apple watch started mm. before tim cook took over as ceo and then 
he actually was in place to roll that out. But since then, I cannot recall of any new tech from Apple that didn't just basically upgrade a previous laptop, a, a previous iMac. You know, they basically upgrade the guts and they re-release it for another six or seven thousand dollars. So, you know, this is kind of really exciting. I think right. for you know for Apple of you know, actually getting a new line of technology, which is uh, going to be the smart car. Absolutely, absolutely. So I wanted to briefly uh, touch on this story because I you, you've all heard me at this point talk about my love of uh, the New York Times as an institution, uh, <laughs> specifically the daily podcast with my soon-to-be best friend, Michael Barbaro. There you sure, go. we'll meet at some podcaster's convention at some point. But <laughs> um, a few years back, they had a mini-series, uh, mini-podcast series uh, called Caliphate. Uh, I ate this podcast up. It was uh, Rahmini Kalamarhi, uh, this heralded journalist that had uh, got the interview of a lifetime, uh, actually spoke to somebody inside of ISIS and got their telling of how they had been radicalized, they're a Canadian citizen, how they had been radicalized online, how he went to ISIS, what the boot camp, I get for lack of a better word is for ISIS, you know, uh, all the way up to and including being an executioner and actually being the, the, the sword man himself. And it was riveting stuff. I mean, I listened to that thing the second they dropped, I was listening to the next episode. It was just, you know, she, she is a wonderful, uh, storyteller uh, just in the way she reports and whatnot. Well, unfortunately, turns out that she was telling a story and that this gentleman that, uh, that, he, that she found and tracked down uh, was uh, not indeed a member of ISIS, had, had not uh, been, been initiated into ISIS, certainly did not escape. Oh, because that was the other Oh, amazing part about the podcast was that he he figured out a way to escape and make his way back to Canada. Well, problem is, is that a lot of Canadians suddenly were like, what, what, wait, what? This, this man is just walking the streets here in Ontario somewhere? What in the world? Why are we not holding him to justice? And shortly thereafter, the story started falling apart this man's uh, accounts kept varying, uh, you know, up to and including uh, him then taking back, you know, that he had been one of the executioners and was like, no, 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 no. I was just there. I didn't actually do it. I was just exaggerating. Well, it turns out that the whole thing was not just an exaggeration. The whole thing was pretty much just uh, a fabrication. This mm. man now being charged in Canada, not for terrorism, but for basically uh, conspiracy to fake terrorism, something along those lines. Right. Um, Rachmini Kalamaki, who won a Peabody Award, has been forced to give her Peabody Award back. Uh, and the sad thing is, is that as you read through uh, 
you know, the background on it, they knew. They knew before it came out that this was highly problematic. Um, colleagues of Kalamahi uh, questioned some of her means and methods. Uh, you know, foreign affairs correspondents were kind of putting off alarm bells saying this doesn't sound right. Mm -hmm. There's no way that some of these things could have happened. Uh, but they went ahead because they knew what they had if it was true. You right. know, they knew what they had and, and they got the acclaim for it. You know, like I said, they won the Peabody and they, you know, it was, uh, you know, they were, uh, they were nominated for a Pulitzer. Um, but the, the real, the real, you know, fireball that I feel in, in my stomach, because I do have such respect for the times and have just been absolutely disgusted by Trump's takedown of the quote unquote fake news in, you know, um, you know, media and whatnot is that this thing was basically at the highest levels of the New York times uh, and looking at all of the evidence, the, the top of the top and leadership at the times went ahead and greenlit the publication of the product. And now I get it. Knowing, you're, you're down knowing that it was bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, top editors just treated it like, you know, they, they, they just, they, they knew, they knew that it was problematic at best, complete bullshit at worst. Right. And now Kalamaki had traveled several times over to the front lines, over to uh, uh, Syria and whatnot. And, you know, I can imagine an incredible amount of money and resources went into the production uh, of this thing. And that would have been a huge loss just to pull the cord on it completely. But to go ahead and publish it without any kind of editor's note or legal note that, you know, since initial reporting, these things have came up because it's still, I mean, to listen to it, it's still, it's a really, you know, hell, if they had told me that this is a fictional account, I would have still probably listened to it because it's just a damn good story, you know, mm -hmm. but right. uh, they didn't. They, they played it off as true. Um, and for almost, what, two years now? Um, well, the, the work began on it in 2016. It came out a few years, at, right, 2000, right, 2018. So for almost two years now, you know, Rachmini Kalamahi has been uh, heralded as this, you know, breath of fresh air this you know immigrant uh who made it to the top of her game at the new york times what an amazing heart like wonderful heartwarming story and oh here is his name uh abu hufasa uh it's not true it's just not true none of it is true uh they've taken it all back they've admitted that they knew it wasn't true and they published it anyway like i said they gave back the the peabody and it's just it it's really disheartening because i want to believe in not just the times but i want to believe in the power of journalism and the power of journalists to hold people to account and 
just uh, I, I bring it up for no other reason than I am 100% transparent. Uh, and this this really this one really get, got me. This one got me right in the right in the tough spot. <laughs> mm, right in the chest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think it was a little bit lower of a blow than that. <laughs> you know, because I just, I just, I love their reporting and I love, you know, what they do. And, right. you know, I don't want to turn on my, my podcasts or open up, you know, a story on the, you know, on all of my digital subscriptions, whether it be to, you know, Washington Post or the Times or, you know, any of the sources that I follow, you know, I, I want to have trust and confidence in in the in in my media sources so sometimes even we uh, lefties have to admit it when a bad thing happens at one of our institutions and uh, the New York Times shame on you folks shame on you I hope you I hope you uh, learned some lessons out of this now Luke do you think it was a pressure they were you know feeling from the industry and from other, from other reporters calling basically BS on that? That they decided yeah, to come yeah. forward. As it yeah. as it turned down, as it came out, there were just too many other right. So the straw that really broke the camel's back is this foreign correspondent uh, out of uh, oh gosh, what is his name? Uh, Syrian journalist who worked the the Syrian journalist who worked with her on the story, um, basically came out and said, "I sent." Uh, Rukmini several corrections before the story was published. I begged her to make the corrections to at least include some kind of notes in in the inaccuracies, and she refused to do it. Gotcha. So that was basically, and and her bosses at the Times backed her up, and so you know that was basically that was basically it uh that that tweet came out and i don't think the times really had much of a choice uh but to to say that you know we're gonna give back the the the, the peabody they retracted the story they have uh reassigned kalamaki whatever that means um and because uh, this was really it this was what she was known for you know being right. you know a real true front lines no fear uh, reporter on the state of terrorism. And uh, I, I don't see her moving forward in that line of work any longer. So that was it. You, you know, do you think there was other stories that she kind of fabricated or was this just the first one and it was so big that? Yeah. So this is, you know, th this brings me to the whole, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys, ever heard of the movie uh, Broken Glass. Uh, it was about uh, this phenomenal young, oh, excuse me, excuse me, Shattered Glass, Shattered Glass. Um, young hotshot journalist Stephen Glass puts on a show, uh, you know, for his adoring editor and, uh, you know, publishes all of these uh, really, you know, big time stories uh, that in the end, it turns out that every single one of his stories was either partially or completely uh, made up, just uh. completely fiction. Wow. And uh, that 
is immediately what I thought of uh, when I when I heard of this story because it does bring into question you know what and this is a pretty recently breaking story i mean all of this broke just on the 18th so you know i am sure there will be further research into her other work and uh you know we'll we'll keep you updated right right and then and then what's your high note for today luke all right so the high note today is a little bit of a uh I, I, I got to reading, you know, all of these, you know, it's the end of the year and I got to reading a bunch of these articles about things that, you know, major events of 2020 and it occurred to me how many of them have absolutely nothing to do with, uh, with COVID and some of these amazing, well, some of these amazing and some of these not so amazing, pretty tragically sad also things happened in 2020 and so i just wanted to have if you if you would uh allow me just uh just to recall the year that was and the things that we probably would be talking about right now if it wasn't for covid and first and foremost uh something that i am very sorry i did not include in last uh in our last episodes uh, our, our last episode, a ginormous congratulations to Pete Buttigieg, who was nominated to be the Secretary of Transportation and when, when uh, confirmed, will be the first openly gay man to ever serve in a president's cap. Now, Bobby, do you know what Pete did before that? I do not. I mean, yes, he 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 was mayor. Sorry, let me. He, right. he was mayor of uh, you know South Bend, and he you know did run for president. But right, he, a gay man, won the Iowa caucuses. Now, the Iowa caucuses will probably be best remembered this year for what a shit show it was, and Correct. how the slow roll of the results completely uh, kneecapped any momentum that Pete could have gotten coming out of that. But he had a strong showing in New Hampshire as well. And up until South Carolina, he was one of the, the top dogs in this race. Right. And so for a, a gay man to, to reach that level uh, was very inspiring and, and to me a sign of hopefully good things to come. Now, also in January, something very, very tragic happened, something that, Bobby, I know that you will never forget uh, and will right. always remember on the anniversary of it, and um, that is the death of NBA legend Kobe Bryant and his daughter. Now, now Bobby, uh, you have a connection to that date, correct? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's actually my birthday. So January 26th, I you know, woke up and did my regular routine got ready for the day and like an hour and 20 minutes later the news broke that everyone thought that kobe bryant uh was on this on this helicopter uh you know in the very beginning they didn't know exactly who was all on it but kobe right. at the time was the only one that was confirmed to be on the chopper we found out later it was you know his daughter and uh, gianna 
and yeah. you know other folks parents of of the team members but yeah so january 26th will now be the day that kobe died yeah then uh his obviously his his funeral was held uh a short time a short time later on the, and i did not realize this coincidence but on the same day of his funeral Harvey Weinstein was convicted of rape and sexual assault in New York City. And he has been sitting behind bars ever since. And it was a huge step forward for the Me Too movement right. and for uh, women's rights in the workplace uh, thereafter. So, and the some, Me Too some... movement is not done. We still have, there's still what, 23 women. Uh, that Donald Trump has to face uh, come January 21st. That is right. That is right. And speaking of things, uh, speaking of Donald Trump, you do recall that he was impeached. Yes, he was. Like, just like only uh, two other uh, presidents in history, he became the third to be impeached. He was, of course, acquitted in the Senate. So that's mm -hmm. what he wants everyone to remember. But he was impeached. And he was wow. impeached for bailing Ukraine. Hey, we'll give you support if you make up some bullshit on uh, Joe or Hunter Biden. Right. That, am I remembering that right? Yeah. yeah. And then we've got this yeah. massive Russian hack that Trump, you know, refuses to confirm that it was Russia, which everybody else has already said it was Russia. Of course. Of course, he, he continues to placate Vladimir Putin, and I only pray that the investigations post January 21st will uh, reveal exactly up to other things that happened in 2020. Uh, the Australian bushfires, if you don't recall, uh, the vast majority, 47 million acres of Australia was on fire, causing devastation to wildlife and humans alike. Um, very sad event. To global warning, it, uh, warming, it's a thing. Climate change is a thing. We are experiencing it. And all you have to do is look down the list of big events of 2020 to see evidence of it. On a much, much lighter note, <laughs> Prince Harry and Meghan Markle quit the royal family and moved to L.A. <laughs> right? Uh, I have yet to run into them. I'm blaming it on COVID. Something just, I don't know, for some reason in my gut, I feel like uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet them one day. There you go. <laughs> Out here in Los Angeles. And then, of <laughs> course... You cannot close up a list of, you know, major, and mind you, I'm leaving, intentionally leaving COVID out of this there. Right. Yes. Okay. But you can't close up a list of the biggest events of uh, 2020 without mentioning, I can't breathe. Yes. The death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, which which touched touched off protests across not only the United States but around the world, and brought the brought the topic of finally having true social justice uh, for people of color, not again not just in America but around the world 
as as something that we focus on and we continue to focus on it until we make things right. It has, of course, uh, spawned other movements such as the defund or uh, uh, change the way you fund on police in police uh, police. Um, you know, just, you know, retraining and rethinking their role. And instead of being a military force, be the guardians that they're meant to be. Mm -hmm. uh, all the way down the, the list to, you know, you know, private schools rethinking the way they do their curriculum to focus on the actual history of the United States of America versus the history of the United States of America most of us learned when we were in grammar school in high school and there on. So a huge, huge uh, reckoning that we are still very much so, much like the Me Too movement, we are still very much so in the thick of it. And um, I only hope and pray for more positive, positive change to come as a result of it. So we can always remember George Floyd as the man who not just called out to his mother in his dying words, but as the man who, who truly, truly sparked a change to make the world a better place. Yeah. You know, people, you know, you know, I've said, well, because we haven't protested in months now, is this going to be put on the back burner again? But you know, I am a proud member of the National Action Network. You know, Reverend, Reverend Al started that years ago. I'm a member, and I can tell you that this is going to be front and center of the Biden administration. So what, what yeah. does that mean? We don't know yet. You know, yes. what's, what is going to be, you know, sent to Congress for real change, criminal justice, you know, systemic racism. You know, I just don't want, you know, our listeners to say, hey, well, we haven't seen you know, a march in, in, in several months now, now all of a sudden it's not being talked about, but you know, there's a, a ton of people that are just waiting for the Biden administration to take over, go, get through inauguration. And it's supposed to be part of Biden's first 100 days uh, when it comes to executive orders and all that. So we'll see what he does personally. And then what, you know, basically his team does, uh, when it comes to legislation being sent to Congress and all that. So I think we will definitely see it front and center with the Biden administration. We have already seen it uh, in starting with the pick of uh, Kamala Harris and now yes. with several of his picks for his cabinet. Uh, we will see this uh, much like climate. Uh, we will see these things front and center just because we haven't heard about them in a little bit. Don't just just wait. It's coming. And then, Bobby, real quick, I did want to say goodbye to a few of the greats. And sadly, we lost all three of these people due to cancer. In October, we lost rock legend Eddie Halen. Yep. He was only 65. We, of course, lost legend of the Supreme Court and only the second woman to ever be appointed to the Supreme Court. On September 18th, Ruth Bader Ginsburg also lost her battle to cancer. And quite shockingly, quite shockingly, back in August, at the young age, Bobby, at the young age, our age, of 43 years old, well, my age, um, 
you'll be there soon. Um, yep. We lost Black Panther himself, Chadwick Boseman, yes. colon cancer. Yes. So it, it was a tragic loss. And that one was particularly shocking because it came to light that he had made, while going through treatment, right. made several of the blockbuster films that he will now forever be known for. Right. It was shocking to us. But people behind the scenes with Marvel and all that, there was a lot of people that knew what yeah. he was going through, what he was fighting. Um, but, you know, I thought that story was really powerful. Obviously, a lot of the Marvel people have paid tribute to uh, to Bozeman. And but, yeah, I mean, as a huge fan of the Marvel series, I mean, yeah, it was it was shocking. Um, someone so young, so talented. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, he had been fighting this for a while. He'd been yeah. doing what he needed to do. But, you know, like you said, Luke, he'd go from treatment to, you know, on set filming, you know, the same day. And, you know, pretty, yeah. you know, pretty miraculous what he was able to pull off with with his acting. Yeah, I am. I am. I am firmly in the uh, fuck cancer movement. I have lost too many uh, friends, family members, have family members who are currently fighting cancer. It is a terrible disease. And if we can get through what we just got through in the creation of these vaccines for, for, for COVID, I do hope that we can use some of these new technologies yes. to figure out some better treatments for cancer. Because while there may not be a cure per se, the technology certainly has to exist now to improve the treatments. So that, that is my yes. hope for 2021 is that this technology that we're now using in, in medical science, that momentum continues. And when now that we have somebody in the White House or we will have somebody in the White House that believes in science, uh, right. they will push... Uh, the CDC and the National Institute of Health and organizations such as them to continue to push forward as 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 Joe Biden called it, uh, it it's his moonshot. We all know that yes. he lost his son to cancer and it has special meaning for him. It's his moonshot. He has said that he will also, along with uh, social justice and climate, focus on it. Um, Obviously, we've got to get this COVID thing taken care of first, but I, I guarantee you that it will be a it, it will be a priority in the Biden administration, and and I pray for their success. Absolutely, and I wish all of our listeners a a Merry Christmas or whatever you celebrate, uh, Luca. Merry Christmas, you. Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa. They're all gonna happen, or they've all they're happening or will happen before you hear from us again. So yes. A very happy holidays to each and every one of you. You've been listening to Unfiltered with Bobby and Luke. Politics, tech, entertainment, global headlines, real and raw. Real and raw. Finally, a podcast with real talk and no bullshit. We hope you enjoyed the show, but if we pissed you off, that's okay too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Bobby and Luke.
on Instagram at unfiltered with Bobby and Luke and on LinkedIn at unfiltered dash with dash Bobby dash and dash Luke. How many dashes do we need there, fellas? My God. Anyway, make sure to like, rate, and review. And of course, leave a comment and check out the website at bobbyandluke.com. This is Unfiltered, signing off.